from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. At the Gator 35-yard line. Two receivers wide to the right. Snap to Shermer. Shermer dropping back. Standing back there with protection. Looks to throw and it's picked off. It's intercepted by Tease Tabor. That's interception for Tabor. And he's tackled right there at the 27-yard line. Tabor stepping in front of that pass for his third pick and the eighth of his career. First and ten for the Commodores at their own 18-yard line. Shermer under center on a play action and backside pressure. And down he goes with a corner blitz. Quincy Wilson just sacked him back inside the 10-yard line. There's a snap to Appleby. Hands it off to Scarlett. Scarlett hit the backfield but still on his feet. And pounding forward. He's in! Oh, my! What a powerful touchdown run! That time, Scarlett would not be taken down by nose tackle. Adam Butler, he broke that tackle attempt, and he scored the touchdown, and the Gators lead 6 to nothing. Vandy with the ball, 101 to play from the 23-yard line. Wade Freebeck dropping back the throw down the middle of the field, throwing. It's going to be deflected and intercepted into the hands of Nick Washington. Oh, my! There's your checkmate of this game. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The Gators got back on track last weekend with a gritty 13-6 win at Vanderbilt, and now they return to the Swamp for the first time in three weeks to take on LSU. On today's show, we'll discuss life in the trenches with offensive lineman David Sharp, hear from tight ends coach and special teams coordinator Greg Nord, and get Mick Hubert's take on how the Gators can tame the Tigers. But first, there's been so much discussion about the offensive line this season, we figured it was time to talk to one of the big guys ourselves. David Sharp came into this year as the most experienced offensive lineman for the Gators, but with just 13 career starts under his belt at the time, it's an indication of how young this group would be. We spoke to the junior about his role as a leader in his previous life as a highly touted basketball prospect, but first we had to find out how the recently injured tackle was feeling. Um, I'm fine. Uh, I just got a little little back injuries not that bad at all I went to the chiropractor got everything you know cracked and, and loosened up and it's pretty warm so I'm pretty healthy I'm fine at this time of year you're starting to get toward the middle of the season and a lot of your teammates are banged up as well how difficult is it to stay healthy through the grind of, of this season it's very difficult man um, you know you gotta practice throughout the week you know banging each other throughout the week trying to um, prepare for Saturday and then go on Saturday and and, and you're playing the whole game, you know, practicing and banging in the game. And it's just tough, man. You got to work out and run. You don't feel like it, but it, it, all that all that stuff makes you feel better. So, you know, you got to do a lot of that stuff and eat right and and um, get a treatment. You know, you don't feel like getting treatment. You want to sleep, but you got to get treatment and get your body right. How much of that is set during the off season? Like, How much of your health now is determined by what you do from January through August? A lot, man. You know, you work out and you get that body ready. You get your body strong and you don't have to worry about the injury as much as you would if you don't work out, you know, don't eat right. And um, that off season stuff, you know, you got a lot more time to, you know, rest up and heal. So when you do work out and lift, you know, you got time to recover. 
Over the last two weeks, the running game has been slowed down a little bit. What have you seen from that standpoint, and what can you guys do to, to improve that? I think we just got to – I mean, it's always one block or, you know, one guy that, that misses their block, and it's, it's so close all the time. We're always looking like how close we are from having a big run, you know, but um, uh, we we just have to tighten up, you know. We'll go harder and practice and team run and, and everybody get on their guy. You have so many different backs that are running behind you. Mm-hmm. Do you block differently for different guys based on their size, their speed, or, or does it really not matter who's back there? Oh, it really doesn't matter to us. You know, we block for anyone who's back there the same pretty much. Um, you know, some guys, you know, want the, want to call to their side. You know, you just run behind me type deal. But, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same. Coaches always like to say that linemen love run blocking much more than pass blocking. Is that true? And if, if so, why is that the case? Um. It depends on the type of guy you are, I feel. Um, I think I'm more of a pass-blocking guy. I like to pass-block more. But, uh, yeah, sometimes run – I mean, run-blocking is, you know, is, is more – much easier than pass-blocking. You know, pass-blocking out of one-on-one with that guy moving your feet, you know, it's just like a one-on-one battle. A run-block, you can really, like, knock him off the ball. So that's fun, you know, get your pancakes and, and things like that. After the Vanderbilt game, Coach Mack gave a lot of credit to the fans. He said that was one of the biggest things he took from the locker room was how you responded to the fans. What is the, the tangible impact of that? When you've got a big crowd, whether it's on the road or, or in the swamp, how does that affect what you're doing on the field? It's great, man. You know, you have some the fans on your side, you know, cheering for you when you make big plays, and it's always great to look up there and see all that orange and blue. It was like a, a motivation factor. So it's great, especially on the road and stuff. I want to go back to the beginning for you. Tell us about growing up in Jacksonville, about your family and, and all that. Um, I just grew up in Jacksonville. Uh, you know, my mom and dad weren't together, so, you know, I live with my mom most of the time. I'd be with my dad on the weekends. But I grew up, you know, just regular life, playing sports. Um, that's pretty much it. Just gone every weekend, you know, basketball and stuff, and then playing football in high school, and pretty much it. And two sports in particular, football and basketball. And, and you were getting a lot of basketball offers as well coming out of high school. So I'm curious, how did you juggle playing both football and basketball at, at such a high level? Um, you know, it was just when it was that time, that was the thing I focused on. And, and I went and I, I took it serious and I, I went hard at it. So, you know, when it was football season, you know, I cut all the basketball out, played football, worked on my technique in football. But when it was basketball season, I did the same thing. So it wasn't a, really a time thing, you know. I would, uh, right after football season, it probably would start like AAU and, and then high school, or after high school ball, I'd start AAU and, and traveling and stuff and doing that with uh, football season, uh, basketball season right after football, so. What kind of basketball player were you? Who did you model your game after? If people saw you play basketball, who would you have looked like? Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I've gotten a little bit of Zach Randolph, gotten a little bit of a... Uh, See who can handle the big man. DeMarcus Cousins type. You handle the ball as a big man, you know, and can play inside too. So, How do you still get your basketball kicks these days? Do you still feel it or, or is it sort of going away? Uh, I don't play during the season, but definitely out there uh, after the season I play just to get up and down and lose a couple pounds every now and then running up and down the court. When you were coming out of high school and, and you were getting some of those offers, there was concern that you weren't 100% focused on football mm-hmm. because – of how intense you were with basketball. How did you ultimately make that decision to go all in on football? Uh, it was just uh, the, the smart decision. I, I found a love for both of the sports, but I love football. And um, 
it was definitely the the better route to go at the time. You know, uh, I started to love football more. I felt like I could go much farther in football. You mentioned running up and down the court, losing some pounds in the offseason. Now you, you had to change your body significantly mm-hmm. when you did commit 100% to football. Yeah. How did you do that, and how difficult was that uh, change? I just had to take the weight room much more serious, you know, um, gain, you know, a lot of weight uh, muscle-wise, but uh, also fat-wise. But, you know, just working out and, and gaining that muscle, becoming stronger, you know, uh, getting stronger in the weight room and, 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 you know, being able to be in shape, you know, in football shape because those are two different shapes. How difficult is it to stay in that shape? Because people see the numbers, you know, 350, 360. How do you stay in shape at, at such a high weight? Uh, I believe, like, when, you, when you're when you running and you don't get tired as, like, as much as you would, you know, at a certain way. Like, I've lost, you know, uh, about 10 pounds during uh, over the season. So, mm. yeah, I've came down. But uh, just, you know, in practice, you know, going at that pace, that, that up-tempo pace and, and being able to keep going throughout the practice, keep in shape. When you're playing basketball in the off season, who's out there with you? Who who can actually handle you on this team? Anybody? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say anybody can handle me on the team. You know, me and Marcus May, you know, we go at it a lot. But he's a, a guard, and I'm pretty <laughs> much a big man. But he tries to guard me out there. So, yeah, me and me and May always go to the gym and hoop and and Chauncey Gardner and, you know, and Khalid Jackson, we all go. If I can bring things back to football for you, you're the most experienced offensive lineman on this team, and you've also said that you matured a lot mm-hmm. over this past off season. What's been different for you? How do you think you've grown? Uh, just, you know, leadership-wise, uh, just being that guy that uh, some of the offensive linemen look up to to, uh, to set the tone, to set the example, to, to uh, go hard and, and speak up, you know, when we're down or, or – when things aren't going the way we uh, expect them to go. There's been so much focus in the offensive line, and there's so much talent around you, but you're still so young. Mm-hmm. So what is your role as a leader, and, and how much can you help the guys around you just by what you say and, and what you do? Just teaching them everything I was taught, you know, watching uh, DJ Humphries and, and Trent and um, Chad Green, all those guys are starting the NFL. They taught me a lot of things, you know, uh, technique-wise. So just uh, passing that down to those guys that – could help them potentially, so that helps a lot. You had a chance to go to SEC Media Days this year and, and represent the offense. What was that experience like for you? Because it's quite a circus there in uh, the Winfrey. Yeah, man, it was a great experience. It was very fun. You know, I was uh, a little nervous, but it definitely was fun. It was a great experience uh, talking to the media, you know, dressing up, man, seeing all those players and, and, and all the sports, famous sports people, and it was crazy, man. I loved it. You guys have LSU this weekend. They've long been known for having these freakish athletes up on the defensive front. How do you handle that type of challenge, and is it unique to a team like LSU? Oh, yeah, man. They have a great defensive front. You know, the two guys inside, and even on the edge, you know, they have a lot of great guys. So, you know, we have to definitely be on our game and work together. You know, you got to focus up and play hard. You've had Luke Del Rio and Austin Alfie play behind you this year. Can you compare and contrast what the line has to do differently based on their particular skill sets? I wouldn't say much differently, but uh, definitely just got to protect them, keep them clean. Um, we don't need them, you know, getting hit back there. You know, he's already a little banged up, so we definitely got to keep him clean this weekend. And um, that's pretty much it, yeah, just protect them. When you look at the game plan for LSU – what are the biggest things that you're preparing for? What have been the focuses this week in practice? Um, you know, just uh, getting at least four yards on first down, uh, 
making every drive count. We got to score in the red zone when we get down there because they're like the top defense keeping uh, guys out of the red zone when they get down there. Um, so we definitely have to take a big focus on that. Um, just keeping Del real clean, making sure we're numbering up on the, the run blocking and, and passing the games on in the pass. You got your Jags sweatshirt on right now. How you feel about where the Jags are right now? Uh, I'm a little skeptical about it, man. You know, <laughs> but I'm, I'm gonna stay behind them. You know, I'm a big Jacksonville fan, so I always got to keep up with the Jags, man. Being a Jags fan and being from Jacksonville, what's the Florida Georgia game like for you? Is that a pretty big deal? Yeah, man, I love it. I can't wait for it this year, man. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I love playing home. If you look at two of the most improved areas this season for Florida, tight end play and special teams are both high up on the list. Greg Knorr is the coach responsible for both of those units, and Jeff Cardozo caught up with them before the LSU showdown to get his take on their success. Well, you know, we obviously want to get better at uh, some of the things that everybody sees as uh, something that needs to be improved. You know, it's no camo and uh, some of the issues that we've had. We're working on improving them. we got a lot of strengths we're continuing trying to accentuate and just get better every day. I've been doing this uh, like 35 years now, so almost as long as I've been alive. So that means you've seen a lot. Um, it, it, have things changed now? People are doing the, the soccer-style kick to you guys as you, you try to return punts. How, how much has the game changed, really, or even over the last couple of years? Well, it's constantly changing. Uh, even the kids change. Uh, but that's that's part of what you have to do in order to keep being successful is adjust, adapt, and then improvise if you need to. But uh, uh, there's, it's not really any surprises you ever see. You just have to have you a good sound plan for when someone breaks something out on you that maybe they haven't shown before. I bet something that surprised you, though, was the first time you, you heard the words Eddie chanted in, in the swamp. Have you ever heard that from a, a kicker before? No, I really haven't. Uh, you know, usually that's usually reserved for uh, some of these mega stars in uh, the NFL and maybe NBA and some of those big-time uh, venues like that. Well, and obviously we know he's a weapon. We see what he can do in the, in the field goal game. But I think from uh, just a kickoff standpoint, that has to be really nice to be able to boot the ball out of the end zone and, and not really have to cover anybody. Well, yeah, that's a that's a big advantage for us. Uh, you know, on the other hand, you got to make sure you're ready to be sound with your coverage for you get a windy and rainy day like uh, uh, you could have from time to time. Uh, you have to be ready to go cover those when those uh, situations occur. And we'll stay with special teams right now. And Johnny Townsend, certainly an asset back there, too. We, we've seen so many games we've seen on the road the past couple of weeks and be able to just put the ball in, inside the 20. How, how important is he to this team? Oh, whenever you can flip the field and change the field position with the way we play defense, it's huge. Uh, you know, you get down there at Vanderbilt and you start them off inside the 10 three different times, inside the 20, two others. That's uh, a great advantage for you. And he's been good with us. Uh, got better gunner play last week with our guys getting down covering, which uh, helped as well. And hopefully we continue using that as a, a one of our big-time weapons. Some of the mistakes that you guys do make, you're able to watch on film and learn some things. So when, when you're when you're teaching a kid, when you're coaching them up and telling them not to, to do the, the wrong things again, what is that process like? Well, you know, whenever something happens in the game, it's very seldom that it hasn't been covered, hasn't been worked on, and hasn't been coached. Uh, sometimes 
you have some things show up in a game that you say, gosh, how did that ever happen? Well, it's, it's happened because uh, these kids are human. They're kids. Uh, you don't want it to happen. But then when it does show up on film, now they see the value of what you have been coaching and why you ask them and ultimately demand them to do the things that you need to win. Uh, talking about value, you got that out of DeAndre Goolsby last week. Eight, eight catches from a tight end. It's the second most ever in, in a Gator uniform. So he's been a weapon. Siante's been a big weapon. So having both guys on the field, th- that allows you some versatility, too, to be able to do a lot of different things on offense. Yeah, those guys have come along. They've grown up, uh, got a good grasp of the offense, and want to continue using them and uh, uh, helping us be productive. As you guys go through the the alternating quarterbacks and trying to figure out who, who who's going to be out there, do, does it matter, or, or do you just teach guys to do the same thing no matter who is the quarterback? Well, you go out there and you run the run the offense that's called, and certainly the game may be called a little different for one as opposed to the other, but uh, we train for whatever the case may be, just like you would uh, in any game for any position that might have to have a sub come in. Certainly we think of tight ends as, as guys that are going to catch the ball and be an impact on offense, but how, how important it is that they block and they have their assignments to, to help out the, the offensive line and the quarterback? Well, it's a must, and you're not going to have a good running game if you don't have uh, help with uh, the tight ends working, especially as much as we're playing with uh, our tight ends in the game with uh, two, with the two of them playing a lot together. So uh, a couple of the games this year, those guys were key elements in our run game, um, both North Texas and Kentucky games. They were vital with uh, some of the perimeter runs that we were using in that game. How much have you seen those guys progress to? I know they're still somewhat young young guys, but it looks like they can turn into some, something special. Well, they've, they've come a long way, and, and a lot of it is attitude, switching uh, into the, the role of being a true tight end, which is going to demand of you blocking. And, and that's the biggest change that a lot of these high school kids have to uh, cross over. Uh, hey, I want to be a receiver. I want the ball. Well, hell, everybody wants the ball. <laughs> uh, so you get past that, and then you realize that uh, – Every fundamental, everything asked of me um, out of the offense needs to be perfected in order for us to be successful. The Florida LSU series has historically been a tight one, with LSU becoming a constant thorn for the Gators since the turn of the century. The Tigers have won five of the last six against the Gators and have many of the same pieces in place that have hurt Florida the last two years, especially their big guys up front. Before McHubert broke down the impending matchup, we wanted to get the voice of the Gators' thoughts on the tight win in Nashville. I said on the TV show on Monday that we aired on Fox Sports Sun that the Gators needed to win in the worst way, and that wasn't to be taken literally <laughs> because Vanderbilt had more yards, more first downs, more time of possession, ran more plays, did everything except the Gators had more points. And that's what it's all about. So the Gators outscored them, and that's what they needed. They needed to win. And while we had hoped maybe it could be a little bit larger, uh, you've got to give Vanderbilt credit. I, I think their their defensive line uh, bested our offensive line, and I think that, that made it tough for us a little bit. It's not something that uh, we haven't seen out of Vandy before. For whatever reason, they, they played us pretty good. I don't really want to think about the Gators playing to the level of the competition. There are some critics who think that could be true, and there may be an ounce of truth to that, but I'm not ready to go there. Uh, and, and yet at the same time, 
uh, I see that Gators playing really well this game against LSU. And you can say, well, you just made my point. Uh, against <laughs> LSU, you're going to play well. Against Vandy, maybe right. not. So, but I don't really want to believe in all of that. I, I usually tend to think optimistically that we're going to play well in every game. And I know that doesn't always happen that way, but I always think that. I never go into a game thinking, eh, we're not going to play very well today. I, I never go in with that mindset. So uh, I, I thought we'd play a little bit better. Uh, but, you know, they did what they had to do to win it, and uh, that's all you can do. A win is a win is a win, and winning, as I always say, winning beats the alternative. There's been a lot of focus on the running game the last few weeks, especially with Luke Del Rio being out and Florida needing more from the ground game. What have you seen the last few weeks in terms of which running backs are standing out the most? Who do you think should be getting more carries this point, maybe shouldering that load? Well, when you look at the year, uh, it's been pretty close in between Scarlett and Thompson. Uh, Scarlett has 55 uh, running attempts and uh, 47 for Thompson. So, you know, they're within uh, one or two per game. So I probably think that Scarlett has probably deserved his his opportunity to run the ball a little bit more. I think he's shown a little bit of uh, a little bit of wiggle and a little bit of explosiveness. And uh, I, I, I know that there was a play down at the goal line last week that Coach McElwain wasn't happy with Scarlett about. But if you take that play away, way I saw him make a lot of other runs where he broke tackles on his 24-yard run which is the longest run from scrimmage by a Gator this year he broke tackles on that play and then at the north end the opposite end of the stadium at Vanderbilt the other last Saturday he broke tackles on a touchdown run where he was hit at the six-yard line and scored on a four-yard touchdown run so obviously he got hit behind the line of scrimmage and he still scored it in there so uh, I would like to see him get get some more carries but I think all the backs are quite capable it's just that uh, when they're all healthy it's kind of hard to have an equal uh, four-man rotation. Mm -hmm. I think you need four running backs because, you know, you're going to have guys get hurt. But until someone really gets dinged up and can't play, four probably is too many, and it's one of those things where that's a a good problem to have. Uh, I've seen from time to time each one of the backs do certain things well. Uh, So uh, interesting to see what what they'll do. And yet when you look at the LSU team, I mean, they've got four running backs. Now, obviously, they've got an All-American, Leonard Fournette, sure. who may or may not play on Saturday with his ankle. His, his ankle, he got hurt in a preseason, and it's followed him all year long. He's missed two games, uh, not back-to-back, but he's missed two of their first five games. So he's probably, you know, questionable at best for this game on Saturday. But they don't miss anything because, you know, they, obviously they got uh, Darius Geis and Darrell Williams and then Nick Brosette, a youngster who played a little last year, and he had 73 yards on five carries in the game against Missouri. So they're playing four guys, but you have to understand, uh, they're, until last month, was fired they were all about you know tackle to tackle line up smash mouth mm-hmm. run the football that's what they do and we're not necessarily built that way so you know some teams can 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 use four backs I'm not sure that uh, we, we'll see that going forward that equal distribution although we might uh, it, 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 I just want to see whoever's in there make the most of his opportunity you need a running back that can average five to six yards or so a carry because the Gators rushing yards per attempt has gone down the last couple of weeks. The last two weeks, we've only averaged 99 yards a game rushing. And while we went from uh, about uh, five, in a little over five yards a carry, and now we're down to 4.3. So we've, we've, that's, that's marginal. 4.3 puts the Gators at 77th 
out of 128. Mm-hmm. So you, that's not really great. So you look at a guy like uh, for the LSU, the other guy, Geis. I mean, that guy's averaging 8.7 yards a carry. And Darrell Williams averaging six yards a carry. Uh, Fournette is just under six yards a carry. But for his career, he's been tremendous because he's been healthy most of the time. So I just want to see whoever gets that ball, you know, it, it, make the most of it. And sometimes if your offensive line hasn't uh, been road graders and haven't opened holes, you got to try and make something on your own, whether that's breaking tackles or a cutback or, or something. And that's kind of, I think, probably as much as anything, an instinctive type of a, of a feel by a running back. And, Hopefully we'll get whoever carries the ball to make some good instinctive runs against what's always a very stout LSU defense. On the topic of running backs, it seems like certain teams have signatures over the years. LSU's has always been a stable of bowling ball type running backs. And, And you mentioned the gaggle of them this year. But even going over the years under Les Miles, there were just so many backs that they could almost interchange that would be as successful. Yeah, and uh they, they've been able to recruit. Now, you have to understand, and I know you do, the state of Louisiana is so talent-laden, and they're the only Division One major school in the major school. You've got Tulane, but let's face it, if you're getting recruited equally by LSU or Tulane, you're going to go to LSU. <laughs> so they get to pick whoever sure. they want. If kids leave the state of Louisiana in about 95 to 98% of the cases, it's because the LSU didn't want them. That's why they're not playing for the Tigers. So they have the pick of their guys that they want. And, uh, and, and they've, been a very, they've been for years and years a big, strong, physical running football team. This goes back you know, into the 50s, 60s, 70s, all the way through the last 50, 60 years. So that's who they are. And uh, we'll see now how this changes. I noticed last week in the game against Missouri, they opened up early and went to some four-wide receiver, one back. Uh, Fournette didn't play. And so as a result, I think they thought, well, let, let's try and open it up a little bit with mm-hmm. more wides. And they, they didn't go anywhere. They had a couple of uh, series where they didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden they went back into what they do, and boom, the running game took off. And they ran for a season high uh, last week uh, against Missouri. And they, they just crushed them on the ground because they had 418 yards rushing. Wow. So they figured, you know what, we, we can show people now that with Steve Ensminger, the offensive coordinator, and with Ed Orgeron, the head coach, we can do some things. We can spread it a little bit. But what they what they fell back onto was what they do best, and that's run the football. So that's why I'm interested to see what they'll do on Saturday. Will they show us some four wides? Uh, because they probably won't play with Fournette. And obviously, they've proven now. Even they probably have a better feel that Geis, Williams, and Brosette are enough for us to still run our offense out of that one back set, or they or they'll get in that full back set and go power. So I would imagine they'll they'll show a little bit of four wide but they'll still go back to what they do, and that's pound, pound away, especially now with the Gators not being 100% on the defensive line. Well, and pound away is what they've done under Les Miles. That's been their signature. And, and looking at Les Miles, it's just amazing to think about how long he was there. And, and it's so difficult to find long-tenured coaches these days because of how quickly people get replaced. But there have been four different head coaches for Florida since Les Miles had taken over at LSU. So how strange is it for, for you looking into a Florida LSU game without the Mad Hatter there? Well, you know, Les Miles has always been an interesting case study. He, he is a he is a, a wonderful gentleman, for, for one thing. Uh, a little bit on the quirky side and talks <laughs> in a lot of abstracts. And yes, people, very quirky. <laughs> people will say, what, what did you say? And Les's mind made perfect sense. Uh, so I, I'm not going to disparage him on that. He just was a unique individual, and he was able to uh, – 
obviously take advantage of a fertile recruiting base and, and, and play football a certain style. And obviously he was a good motivator. I mean, he was an offensive guard when he played for Bo Schembechler at Michigan. He brought a toughness to their offensive line and just a toughness to their team. And uh, obviously he gambled a little bit, fakes field goals against us, faked a field goal against us last year and, you know, helped win the game. So, uh, you know, I, I tip my hat to him. Uh, you know, when he came out of Oklahoma State years ago, I guess, 12, 13 years ago, his record there was 28-21. and 21. It was a rather pedestrian record when you think about it, and that's the guy that they replaced Nick Saban with. But, you know, obviously he came in, did a great job, won some SEC titles, won a national title, and uh, probably will coach again someday. I know there are a lot of people that uh, think that maybe he – Stay too long. I mean, sometimes you can stay too mm-hmm. long at a place. I've been on the hot seat for a while. Uh, Had that chance to go to Michigan in right. 2007, yeah. highly publicized. Yeah, right. That was his alma mater. People thought that was a slam dunk. There were a lot of people that said that was a done deal. And then all of a sudden it broke down at the very end. Uh, so, you know, who knows? It's like kind of like in baseball. It's the mm-hmm. best trade you never made. So, you know, maybe he stayed a little long. A lot of coaches, you know, you know, they, they may stay a, a little bit too long. And, uh, and then the, all of a sudden it, it can turn on you quickly. It can go south on you quickly. So uh, it would be interesting to see. I, I hear now where maybe Les is contemplating being in the media. He would, he would be <laughs> undeniably great in that role. I think everyone would love to hear what he had to say. They wouldn't necessarily understand what he was saying, but they'd love to hear it yeah. nonetheless. So, okay, no less smiles. It's Ed Ogeron running the show. And Floor is very familiar with Ed Ogeron as well from when he was the head coach at Ole Miss. Florida played Ole Miss during that time. Yeah, and you know, uh, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but if people thought it was a little bit hard to understand what Les Miles was saying, you got to listen to Coach <laughs> O because now he is a raging Cajun yes, right from the is. get-go. And you got to really bear down and look <laughs> at his lips to understand what he's talking about. But, uh, you know, he's, he's, he has injected uh, new energy in this program because he does love the state of Louisiana. And he has, that's who he is. And he's a motivator. So, I think they had a perfect situation for them last week. They had a, a Missouri team coming in off a 79-point scoring spree against Delaware State. Hmm. You know, they probably came in a little high on the hog down there, and Orgeron got those guys ready to play. I think they, I think the buy-in factor for Orgeron was, was sealed about Thursday or Friday last week. Mm-hmm. I don't think it took a big win for them to get behind Orgeron. I think they were with him right out of the chute last week, and they played like they Obviously, they played their best game of the year. Like I said, they ran for 418. Uh, they had over 600 yards of offense. They held Missouri to seven points. Uh, so I, I think that they, they got to feel coming in here that they're rolling now. So I think it's, that's why it's going to be a very tough game. Uh, for the Gators, no, we, we've got to we've got to play well. We've got to play to our ability because I think it's fair to say that if LSU plays to its ability and the Gators play to their ability, that you have to favor LSU in this game. I think they have a little bit more ability than we do. I mean, that's no knock on anybody here. It's just that Les Miles had his coaching and his recruiting plan in place for 12 years recruiting in a state that basically there's border walls around Mm -hmm. nobody gets out of there so we're still needing another class or two to get our numbers up and get our talent up a little bit Uh, so we've got we we can't afford to go in and play below our capabilities we we did that against Vandy and we were able to squeak out a win but you can't do that against a team like LSU well it's also been their advantage as of late if we follow the series history they've controlled the recent meetings between these teams and the ones that have been played in Gainesville 
have tended to be very quirky games where it looked like Florida had it and then something went awry and LSU was able to steal it. Yeah, of course, we should have won the game in 2014. It certainly uh, led to Will Muschamp's uh, dismissal there shortly thereafter because uh, we, we had a touchdown pass that got dropped in the end zone that could have provided victory. It was right there, and they go down the field, and Colby Delahousse kicks his career to longest 50-yard field goal to win the game. So they stole one from us in that one. We did play a very sound defensive game in 2012 with Will and and won a low-scoring game. It was a very good game, but it was a defensive-oriented smash-mouth football game. They beat us in 10 uh, here in the Swamp, so they won two of the last three meetings here. Obviously, Urban Godwin, 08, won the national championship. But you go back and look at the history of the Florida-LSU series, and it's been the visiting team has fared very well. Now, they haven't won more than the home team, but it's not a dominant home team, home field advantage in this series at all. The Gators have had their fair share of wins at Tiger Stadium, and obviously, as we mentioned, LSU's coming here and won, so uh, it comes to mind that's the one team in this league that we play that you can kind of throw the home field advantage out a little bit. It's, it still benefits the home team, but not like it does in every other SEC rivalry. You mentioned that if both teams are at full strength, it would seem to favor LSU, there's still question about what's going to happen for Florida at quarterback. How healthy will Luke Del Rio be? What do you look at as the keys this weekend for Florida, especially offensively? Well, I think that we, we've got to uh, sustain our blocks on the offensive line. We, we, it starts right there in the trenches. I mean, uh, last year we could not block Lewis Neal and Arden Key. Key's an outside linebacker right now is second in the nation in sacks. And Lewis Neal after the Florida game, was the SEC Defensive Player of the Week. He had 10 tackles and three tackles for loss, and so he was in our backfield constantly last year. So uh, Lewis Neal's number 92 and Arden Key's number 49. you got to watch those two guys. It starts right there. got to control that line of scrimmage the best you can. As I mentioned earlier in our podcast, our backs have got to break some tackles. They've got to hit something, and uh, we've got to be able to run the ball to some degree. Uh, and if we can do that, that'll open up our the, the RPOs, the run-pass options a little bit and we, we can throw it. Uh, I think Appleby has played well enough to have won both of these games. Uh, certainly, I think when he was healthy, this was Luke Del Rio's team, the way he commanded the huddle, the way he, his leadership on and off the field. I think that's been missing to, to some degree. He's, he's done a wonderful job as a bystander, so to speak. Uh, but now if he gets a chance to come back, I think, uh, I think that helps us a little. I don't know where he is uh, in terms of his recovery. Hopefully he'll obviously be ready to go, and Coach McElwain has been has been firm in saying, I'm not playing the guy out there. If he's not ready to play, if not 100% ready to go. So I think if we see him Saturday, it'll be because they determine he's 100% to go. And if that's the case, then I think he brings to the table now uh, an ability to uh, to see the field really well, uh, to see other receivers, uh, get guys lined up in the right positions, and do all those things that are kind of lost a little bit for some people that are the small things that, that, that really make big differences in a play. I mean, one little simple error in a play blows the whole play up. So I think that will help get this offense back a little bit uh, because I, I think when he was obviously before he got hurt, he was he was doing quite well. Uh, so you know, hopefully he can come back. But even if Appleby's here, I think he's played well enough to win. We, we've got to do a better job on the offensive line. Our receivers have got to do a better job of getting separation. Still not great at that. And get open and catch throws when balls are thrown to them. And not every throw is going to be perfect. The team that makes those kinds of plays are the teams that, that, that win games. So you just can't expect the other team always to lose it for you. you you've got to go out there and, and make plays and 
you know, LSU had the ball against Missouri for like 40 minutes. We can't allow them to have the ball for 40 or 42 minutes against us, controlling the clock by just picking up first down after first down at first down by grinding it out. That's what they want to do, ground and pound, wear you down. We can't afford that to happen. So we've got to, we've got to make our own uh, opportunities here. And the last two games, we haven't been on the field a whole lot. Our, our 70 plays against Tennessee at that time was a season low. And then last week at Vandy, a new season low of only 63 plays. So we've got to sustain uh, time of possession a little bit in this game. And uh, that means make first downs as well as score points. Final thing for you before we let you go. I uh, want to get your thoughts on the news of last week. Scott Strickland, the new AD at Florida. You've been here throughout Jeremy Foley's entire tenure. So just your perspective on Jeremy Foley stepping away. And from the time you got to spend with Scott Strickland, your impressions on him coming in. Well, how much time do we have? <laughs> as much I, as you want. That's the beauty of the podcast. I'll tell you what. I, 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 I'm, I'm so saddened, uh, selfishly saddened, that, that Jeremy is stepping down. He's been so good to me. Uh, again, I've, I've said this before in other interviews that I remember the, the day and the moment that I walked into his office per my job interview back in April of 1989. Bill Arnsparger was the athletic director. Jeremy was number two in charge. I sat in both their offices at different times on the interview process. And from that moment forward, we've had a very good relationship and then three years later Jeremy becomes the athletic director he's treated me greatly and uh, you know I've told him that time and time again and he's been so good to me and and uh, you know I'm happy for him that he's happy mm-hmm. he's happy in this right now and so that's that's all that matters he, that's his choice and I'm so happy that uh, that he feels good about it uh, I'm certainly going to miss him now having said that we'll, we'll switch gears to uh, Scott Strickland who I met probably 1993 or 1994. Wow, that far back. Yes, over huh. well over 20 years when Scott was just coming out of school at Mississippi State. He was the baseball sports information director at Auburn, and we hit it off right away. I mean, uh, right away, I like Scott, and his, his, his game release was great, and his <laughs> notes and all that. Everything and you needed. Everything you need is a broadcast. All the bullet points. Yeah, all those things <laughs> I could go to Scott and say, hey, I need this. I need your game-by-games. That's a little shop talk for individual player game-by-games. I need that shirt. No problem, Mick. Send that right to you. Boom, boom, boom. So, you know, that was five or six years there. Then he left, went to Tulane, and then the Gators go to the Waco Regional in the year 2000 under Andy Lopez, and sure enough, Scott Strickland's at, at Baylor at this point there, so we, we run into each other again. They had a reacquaintance there. A few years later, he comes to Kentucky as the basketball SID for, I think, five years there in Lexington. Again, was the same thing all over again. And so when I heard that his name was at the top of the list, I thought, you know what? This could be tremendous. I, I know what a good person he is, what a good guy is, what a what a what a friendly person he is. But what what a uh, intelligent person he is, uh, a real thought thoughtful type of a guy. And then obviously you look and see what he's done at six years at Mississippi State as the AD. Two years before that as an associate AD uh, at his alma mater, and uh, you, you tip your hat to what they've done uh, because obviously the state of Mississippi is, is, is struggled financially, and what they've done facility wise there. At both Mississippi State as well as Ole Miss is as good as any place in this league. So mm-hmm. I tip my hat to what Scott did there, and and I know he's excited about being here. And obviously we got a bigger operating budget here. He's got a great vision for the future. He's a people-oriented person. I couldn't be happier that if Jeremy had to retire, we could get a guy like Scott Strickland. And then to know that Scott and Jeremy were such close friends, obviously being fellow ads in the league for the last six years, they know one another quite well. And uh, for Jeremy to really kind of champion Scott's cause to be his replacement, I see it as all good. So uh, uh, I'm looking forward to a, a great future here with, with Scott Strickland. As 
is our director of athletics. And that's going to do it for today's show. In case you missed it when it debuted on Tuesday, make sure to check out our special edition titled Jeremy Foley Reflects, which features an exclusive 30-minute chat with the outgoing athletic director about his illustrious career at Florida. Due to the challenges presented by Hurricane Matthew, we encourage everyone to stay safe and check out FloridaGators.com for updates about the status of the Florida LSU game. So until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.